Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Welcome to the Runners World Podcast with me, Rick Pearson. Today, I'm talking with running historian Katie Holmes about the five women who changed running forever. I'm on my own this time, no Ben and no Jane, so I'll keep this intro really brief. Um, Runners World were spotted out in the countryside recently. I say countryside, Dorking. I think Dorking's the countryside. Um, doing the uh, the first Grape South Run, so that's that's running to wineries which i thoroughly recommend as we ran to uh to denby's vineyard uh little 10k around uh box hill and then had some wine which was nice thoroughly recommend it i think denby's also the home of the bacchus marathon which is kind of the uk's um answer to the medoc marathon i hope all your running is going well and uh, without further ado i'm going to invite on our guest of the week guest of the week Sometimes on the phone Could be an athlete Could be a physio Or a complete unknown So we're here today with running historian Katie Holmes. Katie specialises in the history of female running so I thought she was a perfect person to compile a list of five women to have changed our wonderful sport forever. So Katie, welcome to the Runners World Podcast. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here. Before we start with, with the list, do you think there's a tendency in running for female stories to be overlooked? Yes, I think that there is. I think there are a lot of stories that we just don't uh, know about. Um, for example, when uh, women were trying to get into long distance road running, you know, that often women were turning up and running in races uh, unofficially. And often we just don't know about those stories. And also, I think that, uh, you know, the male heroes of running have tended to uh, get more publicity and, and their stories are better known generally. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, even the case of like the mile, everyone knows about the four minute mile, don't they? But actually, the five minute mile being broken, that's something that actually a lot of people were like, oh, I didn't realise was, that was a kind of thing for women to break. And it was as, as important and as amazing when that happened. Yeah, that's right. Deanne Leather broke the record just 23, uh, the five minute barrier just 23 days after Roger Bannister ran the four minute mile, but it was nothing like his race. She didn't have paces or um, got lots of press coverage at the time, but it's not as well known now. Okay, great. Well, let's let's go into the list then. So what, what, who's your first name of, of one of the five women that changed running forever? 
Okay, so I've got to start by saying, of course, that it's not just five milestone mo moments in the sport. There are dozens, hundreds, thousands of women who changed running. So it's actually quite hard yeah. to, to come up with a list. But I chose five women who I think had a real impact on public awareness of women's running. Um, and uh, I think it will become evident why. And the first one is uh, Fanny Blankers-Kuhn. And she was a Dutch track and field athlete. And um, she actually never competed on the roads because um, she was uh, at, the, at her height in um, the 1940s and 1950s. And there really was uh, no road running internationally for women then. Um, but she, she really came to fame at the 1948 Olympics. And she was the absolute superstar of those Olympics. She became the first woman to win four gold medals at an Olympics. And also she's the only woman ever to have won four gold medals at a single Olympic Games. Yeah, wow. What an achievement that is, yeah, in running. I mean, it's, I'm trying to think of another example of that anywhere where that's happened, yeah, amazing. Yeah, so she, she, um, she had um, started her athletics uh, uh, career. So she was born in 1918 and she'd started doing athletics Basically, she, she was good at lots of sports, but she chose to do athletics because she thought it was her best chance of getting into the Olympics. She was very competitive from an early age. And she was at the 1936 Olympics um, and competed uh, there, but didn't win any medals. But at that time, of course, she was only 18. Um, but she did get Jessie Owens' autograph. And then um, she managed to keep, unusually, she managed to keep her athletics career going during the Second World War, when Holland was occupied by the Nazis, you know, there were lots of privations and she managed to keep competing. And um, then when the 1948 Olympics came around the, in London, that was her that was her moment. And uh, she won medals in the um, 80 metres hurdles, the 100 metres sprint, the 200 metres sprint and the four by 100 metres relay. And um, the 200 metres was actually a new event for women in the Olympics. So that was the furthest women could run. Um, you know, men were running the marathon, but the women were lim limited to 200 metres. And um, she actually could have won um, more medals because when the Olympic, when she came into the Olympics, she was the world record holder in the high jump and the long jump. But... Um, Athletes weren't allowed to compete in more than three individual events, so she had to choose which one she wanted to compete in. Well, it's amazing when you say about the 200 metres. I mean, it, it seems so preposterous now, and I'm sure some of the other examples you pick will be talking about other um, sort of limitations that were on female runners, but the idea that women were sort of too frail to run more than 200 metres just seems yeah. unthinkable today, yes. doesn't it? But there you go. Yes, and, and the other thing that's notable about her is that she was the mother of two children in 1948 and she was 30 years old and a lot of people said she's too old and she also got lots of letters um, saying that she shouldn't even be going to the Olympics because she should be staying at home with her children. Um, so... It wasn't just that she became, you know, internationally known. It was also the fact that she was, you know, a, a mother and 30 years old, which was seen as, you know, really past it in those days. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, you know, that really marked her out. 
What do, you, what do you think the impact of her um, winning those goals was? Do you, do you think it had an impact on, say, other mothers who might might be thinking that um, running wasn't for them? How how is she kind of remembered also in 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 Holland? Well, she's she's you know very well remembered in Holland. I think there are two statues to her. There are Fanny Blankerskoon Games every year, um, and I think that. Uh, the difference that she made was um, she just brought women's athletics to the fore, really. And, you know, she was really probably the first real international superstar, female international superstar in athletics. And, um, you know, that really showed what women could do. And, of course, she also showed that you could, you know, you could still compete when you had children. She wasn't the only athlete at, at the Games who had children, but, um, you know, it was just bringing showing that you could still compete and 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 you could still be at the top of your game at 50, at 30 as well yeah amazing okay great great start that one i think what's um what's number two then okay well number two uh you may have heard of is uh catherine switzer and um she's one of the most famous endurance running of the runners of the 20th century and it's not really because of her performances it's because of what happened at the boston marathon in 1967 and um, so catherine switz was a 20 year old journalism student at syracuse university in new york and she'd started training with the men's cross-country coach and she managed to persuade him um, that she could run a marathon she ran 31 miles in training just to make the point. And um, the other thing that she managed to do was to get an entry to the Boston Marathon. Because in those days, of course, marathons were men only. The furthest that the American Athletic Union allowed women to run on the roads was one and a half miles. And um, so she she entered with her initials which was common at the time because of course it was only men entering so you didn't need to say whether you were a man or a woman you know it was obvious you were a man she entered using her initials and she uh, got a fellow male runner to pick up her race numbers and so she actually got numbers for the race um and um but once she'd started the race uh, the press pack, somebody told the press pack that there was a woman in the race and um, there was a press flat, a flatbed truck with loads of photographers on and they all sort of, caught, you know, went to where she went to where she was in the race and started filming her, asking, uh, interviewing her as she was running along, yeah, taking right. photos. And um, the race director found out about it and he came running up behind her and he tried to rip her numbers off and he was really assaulting her. And, you, and there are a series of photographs that show this assault and then also show her boyfriend, Tom Miller, who was a hammer thrower, basically pushing him out of the way. I think he actually knocked, <laughs> the shoulder yeah, bars, he actually yeah. knocked yeah. him to the ground. And um, so really this just became a milestone moment in, in the fight for the women's marathon because those pictures that, you know, they're, they're really shocking. They're still shocking today when people see them for the first time. They're really shocked to see it because it, it really um, just shows the barriers that, that women were facing and how hostile uh, race organisers could be. Um, so that and then the other thing about Catherine Switzer 
is that she then, after this race, she then went on to organise the Avon Women's Running Circuit, which had which organised races around the world and got thousands of women running. And she was part of the campaign to get the women's marathon included in the Olympics. Yeah, it's an amazing legacy, isn't it? And um, someone was telling me the other day that the Avon Marathon in 1980, you know, it's a year, a year before London was there, um, yeah, women, women were running on the streets of London and it was actually, yeah, it, it maybe was kind of a, a nice little kind of prompt to the London Marathon to actually try and get their own race out there as well. Um, and I think the story of Catherine Switzer and Jock Semple, the, the director, is amazing, isn't it? Because they had this unlikely friendship emerged years later <laughs> and he actually became this unlikely advocate for female distance running. So it shows you what the, the changes that can be made through kind of extraordinary effort on, on, on a few people's parts. I think... Um, She's hugely inspiring. Um, so that's, yeah, she's got to be in there, hasn't she? No list is complete without Catherine Switzer. I'd yes, say. I mean, and, and um, the Boston Marathon did eventually admit women in 1972 yeah, and she right. ran there along with uh, eight other women. Um, and the, I have to say as well, there were, of course, other people who were also campaigning for the marathon to go into the Olympics, um, including Jacqueline Hansen, who headed the international um, runners committee um yeah and it was it was what 1984 wasn't it the first? yes los angeles 1984 yeah. so it really was a long time coming um yeah and and that london the avon london marathon in 1980 was actually really important because it was held just before the ioc were going to meet to decide um whether to include um the marathon in the program well who's third on the list then Third on the list is Joan Benoit, or Joan Benoit Samuelson, as she is now. Um, and she really, she goes onto the list because of that iconic moment when on the 5th of August 1984, when she won the, uh, the inaugural Olympic Women's Marathon at the Memorial Coliseum Stadium in Los Angeles. And... Um, it's quite a story as well because she'd overcome a serious injury. She'd, she'd sustained an injury in um, March and um, had had to have surgery. Um, and then just 17 days later, it was the US women's marathon trials for the Olympics. And um, she managed to win it. <laughs> um, and she, but she still wasn't the favourite in the race. That was Greta Weitz of Norway. Um, but in the end... Um, she actually broke away from the other runners um, after just a few miles and she maintained a lead. And then when she enters the stadium, she, you know, she had a clear lead. So she was, she really ran a whole lap of the stadium almost, almost completely on her own. And she was wearing this sort of silver vest and shorts and she had a white cotton cap on that she'd been wearing during the race. And as she runs around, she, she takes the cap off and sort of waves it triumphantly in the air. The noise from the crowds was amazing, about 90,000 people there. And, you know, they were all cheering and it was, it was just an incredible atmosphere. And then she just, you know, she crosses the line with her arms aloft and it's, it's just such a moment um, in, in women's running history. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's her sort of coming out the tunnel, isn't it? It's got to talk yes, about this kind yeah. of... Amazing moment, yeah. yeah. Um, and, 
And she, and still running, right? Yeah. I think ran London uh, yeah. l- this year, I believe. Yeah, she did. That's another great thing about her is that she's ca- she carried on running. And um, actually at London this year, she set the American V65 marathon record. So, Brilliant. I love yeah. that. I love that when people look like it's not just a, it's like a lifelong yeah. thing. I think that's yeah. um, it's even more inspiring. Yeah. And I can't believe that about the surgery because it was, it was knee surgery, wasn't it? I think yes, it was knee surgery arthroscopic she had. knee surgery. And that was 17 days before the marathon trials. So, yeah. yeah, which was in May. So it's amazing. I've actually had a very similar <laughs> operation and I, I wasn't moving <laughs> no. after uh, for, about, for about two weeks. So to, to win a marathon trials and then go and win the Olympics yeah. is, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Okay. Um, who's next on the list? So, next on the list is um, Tegla Larupe. And um, the reason that I've chosen her is that um, she, so in 1994, she won the New York Marathon and she, she was 21 years old at the time. And she was the first black African women, woman to win a major marathon. She was also the first black African woman to break the world record, which she did twice. She held the world record for three years. And um, she started, you know, she had a very humble start in life. She grew up in a, in a rural area of Kenya. Um, and it was an area with kind of tribal um, wars and, and problems, tri- tribal difficulties. And, uh, you know, she, she had lots of siblings. She looked after, after farm animals and, you know, looked after her younger brothers and sisters. And um, to go to school, when she started school at six, she had, it was a 10K run to and from school. <laughs> so, you know, she didn't even get her first pair of running shoes until um, 1989, when she was you know, 15 or 16. So a completely different beginning from the other women that we're talking about today. And from that, you know, she rose to to win marathons and really she paved the way for all the um, Kenyan marathoners and also, uh, you know, just black African marathon runners and distance runners who, who, you know, are doing so well today. Yeah. It's surprising how recent that is because I think when you think about East African dominance in distance running. It feels like maybe something that's been going on since time immemorial. You know, it's kind of just, you know, always been there. But actually, we're talking about what the, we said it was the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it was different for women. I mean, Bikaili, yeah, right. baby Bikaili had from Ethiopia mm. had won the um, Rome Olympic marathon in 1960. So I think met African men kind of got access, you know, were able to start distance sort of get onto the international stage a bit earlier but I think for women it it sort of lagged behind and actually Athletics Kenya didn't want to they weren't interested in in having her as an athlete initially because they said she was too small and too thin she's only five foot one and they you know they but then she started doing well you know she managed to win races and and as a teenager and they 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 realized that they you know she was a talent and the other thing that is I think truly remarkable about Tegla Larupe is that she's dedicated her life to harnessing the power of sport to promote peace. 
So she she set up a, her, the Tegla Larupe Peace Foundation in 2003. She organized a 10K race in the area where she lived, which, which had the aim of bringing different tribes in the community together to get them to run together. And um, that, that went on for 10, 12 years. And it was really successful in, in bringing communities together and getting people to, you know, um, leaders of tribes to sort of commit to, um, to peace. So it, she's had a huge impact. And then more recently, she, um, she was instrumental in getting the refugee Olympic team into the Olympics. And she set up a training camp for um, refugee athletes in Kenya and uh, through her Peace Foundation. And um, she was actually the um, chef de mission for the refugee team at the 2016 Olympics and the Tokyo Olympics. Wow. It's an amazing CV, that, isn't it? Yeah, That's it is. Fantastic. She's, yeah. she's quite a woman. <laughs> this is the Runner's World Podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So who's who's the last name on the list though? Okay, well I've not gone I've 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 sort of stopped around the turn of the century. So I ch- I chose Paula Radcliffe because really because of her performances which um you know just make her stand out in in the history of women's run uh, marathon running. So she set the world record for the first time on the 13th of October 2002 at the Chicago Marathon. And she brought the record down by one minute and 29 seconds, which was a huge, you know, a huge drop in the, in the time. And then just six months later at London, she ran nearly two minutes faster and set the record of um, two hours, 15 minutes and 25 seconds. So she, she held the record the, for 17 years until Bridget Koskai um, broke it in Chicago in 2019. So that's like 
the the long the the longest time that any other woman held the record was um, Greta Weitz, and she held it for nearly four and a half years. Wow! Um, right. So, you know, no one's ever going to hold the record. I imagine no one's ever going to hold the no. record for as long no. again. So, you know, she she really stands out for that. Definitely, and um, set in. In old-fashioned shoes as well, right? There wasn't a carbon. <laughs> there wasn't a carbon plate involved in that record, no, either, so no. it's probably even more extraordinary in some ways. Yeah. Anyone, I mean, a lot of people are familiar with the world record run, but just the video of the last, just the last mile, and how and how sort of hard she's trying, despite winning by you know like probably about a mile up the road and the other competitors, it's absolutely yeah incredible, and it sort of reminded me that when I think I'm trying during the last parts of a marathon, I'm probably <laughs> there's probably still more to give. I think. Yes, we could all be inspired by her. Even yeah, if we I was going to ask you actually, like, of this, when you put this list together, does it these people that have inspired your own running, Kate, as well? Do you feel, do you look to their example and think actually it makes you proud to be a female runner? I think it's I think it's just one of those things when you start researching the the history of the sport that you come across so many women who have gone before you and yes who inspire you in in different ways i think i think with someone like radcliffe it can be you know obviously for it with elite runners it can be sometimes it can be hard to identify with them but at the same time they've all started in the same place and yeah so i think we can all take something from you know from their performances and then also how they choose to use their um you know their their fame and what what they what they choose you know what messages they choose to communicate about running as well do you, do you think there's any areas in running currently like where the, where the biggest kind of inequalities are or where you think change is most needed well i think in terms of i mean globally obviously there are countries where women aren't don't have the freedom to run mm. and that must be the most important issue um, facing, you know, face affecting women's running that not everyone mm. is free to run. Um, yeah. And um, I mean, domestically in the UK, yeah. Yeah. we've got the uh, cross country issue. Uh, yeah, the run equal stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which um, is a somewhat complex topic i think but yeah um, it is i think yeah um but uh you know one where i think change will come about but it uh it needs to um it it, we sort of need everyone to be on board with with that change and i think that's that's what's um taking a while yeah i think that's it if anyone's unfamiliar listening in that's the, the the rule in in certain races women run a shorter distance than men in I think the national is probably the most uh high profile is but there's quite a few um and I, I agree I felt like it was something that was going to be just rightly changed a few years ago when the, when the campaign took off because it just seemed like total common sense but it's, it doesn't divide as evenly down gender lines as some people would think actually and there's I think actually Paula Radcliffe is, is someone who who's possibly not in favor of it so there, there were sort of notable female voices who are not completely convinced by it as well so but I think it will happen. I think it's just something that is it, kind of complex and it isn't, um, yeah, it's not something that's going to happen overnight, I don't think. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think that, um, 
I think that for um, elite athletes or, it, you know, the purpose of cross country can maybe be quite different from, um, yes. you know, for club runners. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And, and for most of us club runners, well, I, I think for a lot of club runners, it doesn't make sense the distances to be different. But elite athletes who are training for the track may prefer shorter distance races although of course the run equal campaign is not saying that everybody has to run you know no, that everyone has to run the distance at the men's races currently it's you know that there are lots of different options that organizers could use to um you know to to offer different distances uh, which could be open to both men and women yeah i, I would always choose a shorter distance cross country <laughs> Particularly the Southern. I think the Southern's like 15k or something, isn't it? Is it? Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'd be like, right, anything shorter, please, would be good. Uh, was there any, I'm sure that it was really difficult whistling down the list of five, of course it was, but are there any like particularly notable sort of exceptions on the list that you'd, you'd like to have made room for if you, if you could? Oh, people that I haven't included. Uh, yeah. uh, well, I would have loved to include uh, Dale Gregg because yeah. uh, I've spent a lot of time researching her. She ran, so so I think actually offers the opportunity to point out that, of course, Catherine Switzer wasn't the first woman to run a marathon. <laughs> Some people think that she might have been, but in 1966 and in 67, Bobby Gibb ran the Boston Marathon. She just didn't have any numbers. Um, but in 1964, uh, Dale Gregg, who was from Paisley in Scotland, ran the Isle of Wight Marathon, which was notoriously hilly. And uh, she finished, uh, she became the first woman to complete a marathon distance in under three hours, 30 minutes. And uh, she, uh, 19, I think there were 69 starters and 19 of the men didn't finish Wow. she did yeah. and um she she had to start four minutes before the men um so that they could say she wasn't in a proper race right and uh, she had an ambulance following her around in case she collapsed oh well you know it wasn't really necessary <laughs> no no not at all that, that race is still that race is still going it the is, yes yeah. yes and it hosted the first um english national women's marathon championships in 1978 yeah Great legacy. Apparently, as a race, it's, it's struggling to get enough runners now. So, if anyone's listening to it, you want to go and support a race that's been on the on the right side of history for you know for a long time. Yes, the Isle of Wight Marathon is the one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Kate, if anyone wants to find out a bit more about um, the work that you do, where, where, where have you got a website? Where can people go? Yeah, my website's called um, Run Young Fifty. So that's Run Young Five Zero dot co dot uk, and uh, I'm also on. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, um, so you can catch up with my running history work, and also I pu publish stories of women runners over fifty as well, celebrate their achievements. Thank you very, very much for making the time to come on the Runners World podcast, talking about the women who have changed our sport for the better. Really, really good to talk to you, and really appreciate your time. That's great. Thank you for having me. So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. Thanks very much to our guest. Katie Holmes and to you of course for listening what did you think of the list that Katie put together uh, have you got any people you'd like to add to it let us know at podcast at runnersworld.co.uk you can once again subscribe to three issues of Runners World for just £5 head to hearstmagazines.co.uk forward slash Runners World podcast to get this exclusive offer 
You can listen to the Runners World UK podcast on Acast, iTunes and all your favourite podcast apps. Just search Runners World UK. Please subscribe. It makes us very happy. Thanks for listening and see you again next week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.